Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 97. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $4,299 each. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's some groovy gravy, baby. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. (laughs) We're two Bitcoin fanatics who love talking to people about Bitcoin and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Longtime listeners, thank you very much once again for supporting the show with your tips. And new listeners, we hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, I head over to the second annual Distributed Health Conference held right here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee at the stunning Skirmerhorn Symphony Hall. For this two-day event, I was joined by two of my interns, Dana Zhang and Shalini Gupta, two sharp young ladies with blockchain aspirations who helped me interview attendees and speakers at what turned out to be an absolutely amazing conference. We had speakers and attendees joining us from all over the globe to share information about the latest and the greatest projects moving us forward here at the dawn of the age of cryptocurrencies, blockchain tech, and distributed ledger technology. Nashville just got here to the second annual distributed health conference here at the Skirmerhorn Symphony Center in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am talking to three employees of BTC Media, and they are all here from Shanghai. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me your names. Tell me your names. Steve, Chris Show from Shanghai. Molly. All right, guys, this is exciting. So, how long have you guys been with BTC Media? Two months. Uh, six months. One year. Wow, okay, and uh, you work with John Riggins there in Shanghai, is that right? Right. Right. Is John a nice guy? Is he being nice to you guys? Yes, he is the fantastic guy and the worst guy in the meantime. Okay. (laughs) And is he always fair with you guys? Yes. Okay, always fair? Yeah, 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 he's great. Okay, good. So what do you guys do there in Shanghai with BTC Media? Before, we were doing some public relations for ICO project, and after Chinese government banned ICO, I think we should try and figure it out. Okay, and do you plan to stay with BTC Media? Yeah, sure. Uh, the business grows very rapidly in China. Firstly, we help to leverage the media resources for BTC Media to help more people understand the BTC Media's resources, their coverage, their 
insights about the industry, and uh, later on we found that uh, we can leverage the media resources to help the overseas clients to enter the China's market and also in the meantime help the China's clients go abroad based on the media's media resources. And everything goes quite well. And of course, John is really, John Riggins is really a very, very good boss, very, very good leader. Okay, great. And what skills do you bring to your job there in Shanghai? I think our bilingual skills and our understanding about the Chinese market will help BTC Media grow quickly in China. Okay, and what kind of background do you guys have as far as education? I was starting UK, um, Westminster, and Durham University. Bloody good! <laughs> <laughs> I like your accent. Thank you. <laughs> Can you say something with a British accent? Um, yes. Go ahead. Let's hear it. What do you want me to say? Whatever you'd like to say. How about come over for a spot of tea with me? <laughs> um, Colin, do you want a cup of tea with me? I would love a cup of tea with you. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, for me, I was a employee of KPMG like two years ago, and one day my friend called me to say that、uh, blockchain is going to disrupt all the industry, and I didn't believe it. But I began to research for two days and said, okay, that could be the truth. So I switched from the audio industry to blockchain industry, and、uh, I'm also a simultaneous interpreter. I've helped translate, interpret at least three important conferences in China's mainland. Yeah, wow, that's my bilingual skills and、uh, finance background, and also our understanding about China's market. I think that will be super helpful for any media company. Okay,、yeah. last question now. The name of my podcast is Bitcoins and Gravy, so I have to talk to everyone I speak with about Bitcoins. Have you guys invested in Bitcoin? Yes. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of your money, or just a little bit of it? Yeah, actually,、uh, my salary is just.、Uh, Bitcoin. Oh, you're paid in Bitcoin. Are you paid in Bitcoin also?、Mm-hmm. Are you paid in Bitcoin? Yes. Wow, that's great. So, can you easily spend that there in Shanghai? I never spend my bitcoins. Yeah.、Uh, that's smart. So you're saving,、yes. right? Some people say that's hoarding. No, I consider it saving. I think that's very smart. Well, guys, thank you so much. This was the first interview of the day. It was a grand success. Cheerio. Hello to Shanghai for me. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. All right, still here, right before the keynote at nine o'clock at the Skirmerhorn Symphony Center, Nashville, Tennessee, for the second annual Distributed Health Conference. Oh, there's the little note that tells us we should go in. But before we go in, I'm going to do a really quick interview with Rebecca Truscott from Salucro. Okay, what is Salucro? Salucro is a software company focusing specifically on patient payments. We're based out of Phoenix, and yeah, I'm up here for the conference today. Okay, great. What do you hope to take away from the conference? Yeah, so for us, it's really important just to understand the way the market's moving with blockchain and understand like what opportunities may exist for us as a company, especially in the payment space, to bring blockchain into the equation. Great, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Hey, there's David Bailey. David, hey, I saw you on stage there right before the keynote, man. You and John Bass up there on stage. We're talking with David Bailey and Giles Ward here. David Bailey of BTC Media. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Second annual. This is so exciting. I'm so excited to be here. So, what's your take on this whole thing? Well, last year there was a lot of companies that basically got started here, venture funded over the past year. So, I'm hoping we can double that next year. So, I'm excited to see what people are building and who's raising money and who's investing money and just get the lay of the land. Well, thanks, David. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I'll try to catch up with you later. Are you just running around today? Basically, yeah. The BTC team has grown significantly. I think you've got two or three people that have started in the last few days, yeah, and thirty-five、uh, full-time people. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, and I interviewed three of your employees from China. From China. And they were great. They're very, very talented, hardworking. We're very happy to have them here in the States. And you have a team here from New York, right? Yeah, our team that's been embedded in New York is down here as well. Yeah. Hey, thanks a million, man. Yeah, no, thank you. So, Giles, what's going on here today? Last year, we came here, and there were a lot of smart people who were looking at each other and all agreeing about what a good idea blockchain was and how relevant it was in healthcare, and a lot of, lot of nodding heads. And I think this year, all of those same people have been out, and they've been working, and they've been building, and they've been prototyping, and they're proof of concepts. And this is a year of, like, what we've done. Mm-hmm. And so there are demos, and there are applications that are being built, and things that are being launched. And I think, so if last year was... The good discussion. This is the demos and proof of concepts, and I think next year will be the deployed and active applications. So, we plan to have a active, deployed blockchain application in healthcare that we'll be demoing today, active before the end of the year. So, it's just exciting to see how far this space, especially within healthcare, has moved within the last 12 months. I agree, man. You know, last year I think what I saw was a lot of bewildered looks that I think are replaced this year with a lot of looks of confidence on the attendees' faces. So what role do you play specifically in the blockchain community here in Nashville? So we are trying to be the intersection of blockchain and healthcare. We all come from a healthcare background. We've all learned blockchain and uh, have all bought into what blockchain is going to do for healthcare. So there's so many good ideas in healthcare. There are improvements in care and there are improvements in performance, but they're just nibbling around the edge of this. And as we approach $5 trillion in national spend, there's nothing that sits where blockchain sits. Like, I think blockchain could take a third out of the middle of that. And like every idea that comes out, every startup has an idea that's good enough to make it worth pursuing. It's improving some aspect of patient care that is critical. And if you are affected by whatever ailment that is being aided by that, like, you know, it, it can be life-changing. But none of those things are bending the cost curve. And you sort of look at this technology that just takes that inefficient transactional layer out. And uh, I think it can be transformative on the data side, on the payment side, on the insurance side, and ultimately on the care delivery side. So that's where we're excited. Nice. It's like dissecting the friction from it, like removing the friction from what we have in our legacy system right now. Absolutely. And I think nothing like the internet, you know, changed the way we did a lot of things, but it was a layer on top of a legacy system. And I think that the models and the business cases that build up that are native to blockchain are going to be the transformative ones that 10 years from now we're going to look back on and just just say, wow. Nice. Hey, thanks a million, man, for taking time. John, thank you. Bye. Bye. So I'm outside of the main hall here at the Skirmerhorn, and I'm talking with a group of individuals here with Pocket Doc, is that right? I'm talking to Ted Tanner, Chris Wilhite, Vivian Lee, and Betsy Dalton. How are you guys doing today? Great, Excellent. great. Nice. So who would like to tell me about Pocket Doc? That's P-O-K-I-T, capital D-O-K. My name is Ted Tanner. I'm the co-founder and CTO, and Pocket Doc is like a doctor in your pocket. That's where the name came from, and it's alliterative because it has the K's, stands up well in our logo. So we've been doing this for about seven years now, and one of the things that we found out was that health couldn't spell API, application program interface, to save its life. So we made connections for search, clearinghouse methodologies, cash prices, EMRs, and identity management, also a payment backbone. So we have now about 
over 800 third-party applications built on our platform. We have about a 95% reach. We were connected over 600 direct payers. And now um, we've always wanted to be on the distributed ledger back in 2011, but the time wasn't right. As I said, health couldn't spell API. There's a lot of people talking, but we're about execution. And we come from operating systems background, machine learning, and so forth. And that's why we launched DocChain, which is essentially our blockchain effort on PocketDoc. So we take all those connections and put it down on a distributed ledger. We're also uh, already running on Intel's Hyperledger Sawtooth chip. So we're uh, completely secure in the secure enclave. All of our APIs are now smart contracts. We're here to do uh, identity by consensus, autonomous auto adjudication, and pharmacy supply chain management all on the blockchain today, DocChain. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, one thing I love about doing this podcast is when I interview someone that's 10 times more intelligent than myself, <laughs> it gives me great hope for humanity. I mean that. Thank you, Ted. So you guys are from where? Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina. So in, we're staying here in, in the South. San Mateo, California. In San Mateo. That's where my mother was born. So uh, you guys are from San Mateo? I'm actually from Charleston. From Charleston? I'm from San Mateo. From San Mateo. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate taking time to talk, but I feel like I should talk to these young ladies really quickly and find out what you guys do with Pocket Doc. Executive assistant, making sure on a day-to-day basis that 10 of the other executives are where they need to be, talking to the people they need to be, and she on time. <laughs> she runs the company, and uh, is Ted nice to you guys? He's very nice to us. We do a lot of eye rolling, but it's all good. A lot of eye rolling, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And what do you do with the company? I'm a senior product marketing manager. I um, make sure that our sponsorships go off well and that we have a good presence at the important shows and make sure we show up good. Okay, great. And young man? VP of front-end development, so manage our outward-facing applications, mobile apps, web apps, things like that. How many people in the company? We have around 80 people, so we've seen two offices in San Mateo and Charleston, and then we have some remote folks all across the country. Great. Hey, thanks a million, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Thank you. you, too. Thank have, you. Bye. So, you know, these people are really important here at this big desk here at the front. It says attendees, A to M, N to Z, general attendees. Let's get the names of these people who are making this thing happen here at the front desk. <laughs> Nicole Covington. Caitlin Childress. <laughs> Allison. David. Tommy. And last but not least? Alexa. Alexa. So what are you guys doing here today? We're hosting a distributed health conference. Cool. And what is your team here specifically doing? Oh, these guys, they're registering everybody that's coming in. Nice. So, you know, one thing I'm fascinated by is the lanyards. Tell us about the lanyards. Oh, the lanyards. So one of our main big sponsors, Change Healthcare, this was part of their, their contract. So. Oh, nice. So the Change Healthcare supplied the lanyards. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. got bad news. One of my lanyard clips when I first got here actually broke. What should we do about that? <laughs> we can get you another one. I actually got another one. Okay. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for uh, everything you guys are doing here. This is a fantastic conference. Do you know how many people are here today at the conference? I'm not sure how many are checked in right now, but I do know that we have a total of maybe 500 coming. Okay. That are registered. That are registered. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Thanks a million. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye. All right, I'm backstage at the Distributed Health Conference. I'm speaking with Miriam Paramore, who just spoke. She is the president of Optimize Rx. Miriam, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Thank you. I love your name. Well, thank you very much. So I loved hearing you speak on stage. Some of the things that you spoke about were so important for our world moving forward. 
Can you tell our listeners, if you would, what do you feel are some of the most important and pressing issues facing us today with healthcare and how blockchain and other relevant technologies are going to help us? Well, thank you, John. My personal mission statement is to improve our healthcare system through the power of information. And I've been involved in our system for over 30 years, running companies, helping start companies, investing, all around data becoming available through the various IT type of tech that we've seen happen from personal computing, you know, all the way to the internet and mobile computing now and so forth. So my passion still remains of the power of information really can heal our, our healthcare system if we can exchange it in a reasonable way and organize it in a reasonable way. So when I think about blockchain and compare it to our investment in information infrastructure that we have, I see it as a new infrastructure that can help us to mobilize that data and take out some of the toll roads and blocks and dams that we have in place right now that keep our industry from sharing data, keep our industry from real data liquidity. So my hope is that we're finding ways through this new technology, not just tech for tech's sake because it's the shiny new thing, but what are some practical things we can do that can kind of bust up some of that old hoarding of data and and make data more available, but for practical reasons, whether those are clinical or business reasons in our healthcare system. Nice. Now, speaking to that, when we talk about roadblocks, as you mentioned, and friction, let me ask you about HIPAA. When I hear the word HIPAA, I often think of a hippopotamus, a giant animal that is in our way in some ways. If we stay clear of it and don't get in its way, it won't maul us. But what is, from your perspective, having been in the industry for 30 years, what is your overall opinion? What is the gestalt you could say about HIPAA? So for all of its flaws, it is, and I believe has done something that other things didn't do, which is it created a floor of acceptable behavior around information. It gave us a way to uniformly organize and label data and to exchange it with each other, which we weren't doing before in an organized way. So it gave us that. It also gave us the basic rules of the road for privacy and security, which are incredibly important in our industry. And once it was there, then you were able to build on that through what happened with the High Tech Act, which was, okay, now actually use computers. Don't, don't give me an excuse for not keeping uh, medical records in an electronic form. And that gave rise to electronic you know, health records. But really, we needed that base floor of HIPAA to help us get started. So I think it was a major net gain for the industry. But like everything else, I mean, that was a long time. That was 20 years ago. You know, we did it the best we could with the tech we had at the time, right? And so now there's newer tech. So we have, there's different ways to exchange data, standardize data, make it uniform. We don't have to do it the way we did it, but at least it gave us that floor and let's build on it. It's less about HIPAA itself as a piece of legislation and regulation as it is about standards. So there have to be some standards for code structures. So, you know, what what is a lab test called? How What is a procedure called? What is a diagnosis called, right? And just simple labeling, that has to happen regardless of whether it's an ANSI X12 transaction type or an HL7 transaction type or an NCPDP transaction type or whether something totally new gets created. You have to have standardized data in order to make any information out of it. 
So I'm not really sure how blockchain addresses that, but it'll be interesting to see what new techniques we come up with. So that, that's kind of how I think about it. And the last question that I think is really important, there are a lot of young people here today. I'm very excited to see that. Can you give some advice to some young people, maybe people who are involved in healthcare here in Nashville, maybe people who are young people who are involved in studying computer sciences and blockchain? Can you give advice to some young people, students and young people, in terms of where they might be able to play a role moving forward in healthcare, specifically here in Nashville? Yeah, I think Nashville's a great place to start a business if you feel entrepreneurial and to help drive tech. There's a lot of focus on us becoming a, a you know a very tech savvy town. We're definitely a healthcare town. I'm part of an angel investment group called Nucura, and we invest in in startups and early stage growth companies, and and we work really closely with entrepreneurs. So my advice to to students and entrepreneurs and and tech you know geeks like me is to find ways to identify something that you think makes no sense. So you're looking at it from the outside and you say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would we do that in the healthcare process? But then challenge your own thinking one step further and find somebody old like me or somebody from the old school that can help you understand why it is the way it is today. And the reason that's important in terms of my advice is that for you to be successful in building a business, you need to be starting from something that is grounded in reality so that you can see if you can make enough impact to get a business to succeed versus being crushed by an incumbent or it takes too long to get adopted and you run out of money before you can get your business off the ground. So I would say challenge everything, look at stupid processes and say, that's stupid, I can do it better, but then learn, be humble enough to learn as to why it is what it is and what is it really, and then find a a way to navigate. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, I'm just outside of the main hall here talking with Amber Hartley with Burst IQ. Amber, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. Tell our listeners, if you would please, what is Burst IQ? Burst IQ is a secure blockchain based data platform. We are focused on health data, although it can be used for any kind of data, but it allows your data to be secured and brought together in a secure HIPAA compliant way. And then you can share your data and gain value from your data. Okay. When you say blockchain, which blockchain are you all working with? We have a private permissioned blockchain due to the sensitive nature of health data. It uses a trusted node process. So when data is entered into the system, it goes through a verification process and gets verified by one of the trusted nodes. Okay, nice. And where are you guys out of? Denver. Denver, Colorado. Are you guys uh, smoking any marijuana out there, I have to ask? (laughs) No. (laughs) It is pretty popular, but... It's pretty popular. You guys are busy doing business stuff. Yes. (laughs) Okay, that's probably a good thing. And what do you hope to take away from the conference here today? You know, I think we're really hoping to just get our name out there. We've been sort of flying under the radar for a long time, and now we're ready to really expose what we're doing and and get people on board on the ecosystem as we're building up and ramping up the ecosystem. Okay, great. And I like your logo here and this cool button. I already snagged one and Thank put it you. in my swag bag. A, uh, oh, what is that thing? It's a bottle opener. Oh, it's a bottle opener. I thought it was a button. Yeah. Wow, I really scored. And That's, it's magnetic. So and it's, it's magnetic, too. Stick it on the fridge. Hey, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye. So just got through listening to a very interesting panel here in the balcony lobby at the Skirmerhorn, and I am speaking with Renee Bovell, 
with Envision. She's the medical director of Envision, and she is a physician. Renee, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm really learning a lot about blockchain technology. I came here as a physician because I wanted to have a seat at the table on the development of healthcare, and I felt that physicians should be involved in this new transformative technology. I completely agree. You know, here last year, I mostly interviewed startups and these companies that are trying to figure out how can we get involved in the blockchain world and how can we make money. But yeah, gosh darn it, how many physicians are here? I have no idea, but it's a breath of fresh air to speak with a physician. So tell our listeners some things that you would like to see change in the world of healthcare. Okay. Well, someone brought up prescriptions. And I think if there were a way for us to know right away if our patients are actually picking up their prescriptions at the drugstore and receiving them, I think that would be fantastic. Oftentimes, we write a prescription, we say, come back in two weeks or a month so that we can see the effects of the prescription. The patient comes back, and we find out for whatever reason, they never picked up this prescription. Either they lost it or there are problems with insurance payments and things like that, and then we have to start the process all over again. So I think blockchain technology employed in prescription sending and then looping back and to the physician and letting us know that the prescription was actually distributed would be fantastic. You know, I think you've just opened the eyes of a lot of listeners because I've never thought about that before. You know, we've all gotten prescriptions before. We go pick it up or, you know, the rare instance where we decide we don't want it or whatever. But I've never thought about the idea that there's no way for the physician to know if the person actually picked it up. Of course, the person taking it is a completely different subject, right? But to know when they're picking it up, very interesting, very interesting. Okay, so what else do you feel like in our old legacy system, the paradigm that we're currently working in, some would say stuck in, what other things do you feel you would like to see change in healthcare? Well, the major thing would be the sharing of information. Now, of course, I've been here for a few hours and I'm finding out that the healthcare records are not ready to be put on the blockchain. Maybe the blockchain is not ready to receive healthcare records, but obviously that would be fantastic. So if I'm here in Tennessee, but I'm normally in Washington, D.C., something happens to me, it would be great for the information, my healthcare record, to be readily accessible to the doctors here in Tennessee. That would be fantastic, but I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're moving towards it. I agree. Yeah, I love the idea that you would be able to carry with you wherever you went your own healthcare records. I think that's so important. What areas of friction do you see in terms of governments or regulation, HIPAA, what have you, right now that we need to work to overcome? Sure. Well, unfortunately, there are many. One may be lawsuits. There certainly needs to be tort reform in healthcare, I know that's a, a hot, hot button topic here, but there needs to be a change because physicians need to feel more free to release the records and not have the frivolous lawsuits come back at them. That's one issue. Another issue 
is, you know, we're here in Tennessee talking about blockchain. A few miles up the road in Washington, D.C., they're talking about health care reform today. So that's another issue. How is health care paid for? You know, how are the physicians compensated? How are the health care systems compensated for putting all this information on the blockchain? How are they compensated for organizing it and who's going to be paying for the retrieval of the information, for the storage of the information. It's a lot. And, and that's well far beyond my capabilities. But I can ask the questions, but I don't have any answers yet. Finally, tell our listeners, if you would, a little bit about your practice and where do you practice from? I'm practicing in Bowie, Maryland. I'm an ophthalmologist. My name, again, is Dr. Bovell, B-O-V-E-L-L-E. My practice is Envision, I-E-Y-E, and Laser Center, Envision, I, and Laser.com. Well, well, if I'm ever in Maryland and I get something in my eye, I'm definitely going to stop by and see you. Thank you so much for your insight and for being here today and taking part in this historic conference. Thank you so much, Dr. Bovell. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, I'm still here at the Skirmerhorn at the Distributed Health Conference, and I am speaking right now with Susan Ramanat, the CEO of Spiritus Partners. Susan, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Hey, great to be here. Second Distributed Health event, and was here last year and spoke in my capacity as a financial services risk officer looking at blockchain. I'm here now as an entrepreneur talking about what we're building over in Scotland with the National Health Service. Wow, you just moved from where to Scotland? From Princeton, New Jersey. What took you to Scotland? Well, good question. Initially, it was analytics talent. We identified it was good, what I'll call nearshoring location, but got in conversations with the Development Authority of Scotland, known as Scottish Enterprise, and ultimately were awarded a 500,000-pound grant payable over a couple of years for hiring talent over there. And we have had a team working uh, since the early spring. And secondarily, we've had introductions to the National Health Service as leading universities and innovation centers. And we just announced last week a pilot for a blockchain assurance layer for medical devices, initially within the boards, but ultimately the ecosystem and life cycle of medical devices. There is a problem, and I'd like to start with business problems. We're beyond a use case here. This is a real business problem, and that is that medical devices, when things go wrong, that recall cycle and the actual actions being taken, where advice is being used, whether in hospital, implanted in a patient, going home with a patient, or to a decontamination facility, that chain of information takes a long time to get through and the actions be taken. So we're using blockchain assurance layer to create a shared registry for chain of custody and provenance, and then analytics associated with that as well, we're building out a concept we call attestations so that the professional staff, whether they're biomedical engineers, nursing supervisors, or others, are testing that specific actions have been taken. This weaves together that supply chain, upstream manufacturer down into hospital and use, the professional staff taking the required actions, and the patients and clinicians having higher assurance that patient safety is being addressed, unnecessary injuries, complications, or deaths don't occur. Obviously, it's an area that's fraught. We unfortunately have a lot of examples of litigation and problems, whether it is an implant, hip-on-hip metal-on-metal implant. It could be a mattress associated with a specialist bed that needs to be decontaminated, or, in fact, a device that's software-enabled. We want to be able to capture those legacy devices and bring the community together and the ecosystem together to reduce uh, 
reduce poor outcomes. So talking about blockchain technology moving forward with everything you discussed, which blockchain are you all using right now? We're using the Ethereum blockchain in a private version. Uh, we are keeping our eyes open across all the communities to see what makes sense. So Hyperledger's in our view. Certainly the Bitcoin blockchain to the extent that it's got that high hash power and you know bastions, tall walls. Uh, we always keep our eye you know, to that as well. I know quite a few people in the Bitcoin community who have an eye to the enterprise as well. And so if you understand, in the end, I'm selling enterprise software and capabilities. Uh, there's a change management issue. And you want to come in the door with a pretty hardened idea of, of what will work and what, what will scale and what will fly. What is your background that has brought you to be the CEO of Spiritus Partners? Question. I started my career on Wall Street. Wow. Uh, way back when, Dow 700. You can go back and look at the charts. It's a long time ago. Uh, I started in sales, institutional sales. So I was selling research and trading to institutional investors. One of the industries I ended up covering as an analyst was pharmaceuticals and hospital supply, software and semiconductors. So I had pretty good familiarity, you know, back into the early 90s about these industries. Stayed abreast. As I've worked in my career in finance, I then worked for a firm that built significant technology to support investment operations, large banks and money managers, their clients. Product development, I worked for the head of information technology, and then I became chief risk officer of what is a public company that's highly regulated with operations across the globe. So among other things, personally identifiable information, operational resilience, fraud, cyber, writ large, were of concern. And I had this in sort of the side view as I started to investigate blockchain and see there was potential, certainly to reduce costs in the back office, efficiency and productivity gains, many of the things they're talking about here in healthcare, claims processing, revenue cycle management, things like that. Um, certainly I saw for finance the opportunity, and finance is well ahead of healthcare, which is not to say that you know, it might not catch up. But I took that lesson and that understanding and took it into healthcare. I work on the industrial advisory board of the engineering department at a Midwestern University. Biomedical engineering, environmental engineering are of interest and concern. And I suggested that security by design would be something that would be very important for biomedical engineers. And that started a conversation with the head of the engineering department about some of the issues around medical devices. That was my education. And it's been a good two years that we've been doing research and then building out our capabilities. So we are now you know, putting a little more foot on the gas here with a very specific pilot in the UK. Nice. You know, it sounds like you have a strong moral compass that's moving you forward. Can you speak for a moment about morality in the space? Great question. In fact, I was uh, at a conference just a week ago on IoT ethical dilemmas. The insights that you have by virtue of not just a device as we would understand it traditionally, but a patient or an individual's use of mobile apps, social media footprint, lifestyle issues, all those things that now we rely on the convenience of what internet-enabled applications allow, what sensors and other things will, I think those questions need to be in the forefront. And I know that whether it's university community or certainly some of the major IT providers are now starting to work with universities so that they are consciously and deliberately looking at that. More broadly, within the context of blockchain, many folks talk about the benefits of machine learning or artificial intelligence as uh, allowing blockchain to really, you know, fulfill its potential. But to your question, likewise, there's accountability around the algorithms. And arguably, the developer community 
and the folks that are building platforms and protocols in blockchain similarly need to have some transparency around their governance, although open source. And this is a nettlesome issue that I think we need to pay attention to continuously. It's not a matter of pointing fingers. It's a matter of asking tough questions of yourself as well. Well stated, and I think the key word there is transparency, that I hope we see a lot of transparency moving forward. Yes, certainly in the example we have, the patient is citizen is patient, uh, in a way that is not necessarily the case in the United States. You know, you have a single payer and a single provider, and the devolved powers of the government there include education, health care, energy. So, you know, certainly when things go wrong, there's one place that they look. Nice. Now, the last question. Um, can I come visit you in Scotland? Absolutely. During festival, you've got the right outfit for it. You'll be perfect. <laughs> I'll be there. Hey, uh, Susan Ramanat, CEO of Spiritus Partners, thank you so much for joining us today on Bitcoins and Gravy, and thank you for being at the conference second year in a row. I assume I'll see you next year. I'll have the gray hair for it, for sure. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. I'm here still at the Distributed Health Conference in Nashville talking with Jennifer Hinkle. She's a partner with McGivney Global Advisors. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. So what are you doing here at the conference? First of all, where are you from? So I'm from uh, the San Francisco area, although we, uh, we have a main office in Philadelphia, PA. So we work uh, with pharma companies and biotech companies all over the United States. And we've just seen an explosion of interest around the potential to use blockchain to do things that will really help the business of pharma and biotech. Okay, wow. San Francisco. Are you living in San Francisco now? Yeah, outside of San Francisco. Outside of San Francisco. My mother was born there in 37. My grandmother was born there in, I think, 1908. But anyway, so what first got your firm interested in blockchain tech? Do you know? Yeah, well, we just have seen over the years a lot of problems that biotech and pharma companies face. So whether it's in the supply chain, whether it's in track and trace of pharmaceuticals, whether it's in the pricing, understanding all of the complex transactions, uh, discounts, contracting that pharma companies deal with. And I'll say we work mostly with companies that are developing cancer drugs and marketing cancer drugs. So I think any of these problems you might see in healthcare, when you look at a specialty area that's really complex like cancer, they're all amplified. Every company is looking for opportunities that will differentiate them, differentiate their products and really kind of find a sweet spot in the middle of improving healthcare, making costs more sustainable for everybody, helping patients get access to the right kind of drugs and getting all of the right data that we need to advance the industry. So I think people see blockchain as a really unique kind of technological opportunity that ties a lot of these uh, pieces together. Okay, and how long has your firm been looking at blockchain tech and aware that it's even out there because there are a lot of firms and a lot of companies, obviously, that are falling behind, they're not really even aware of what blockchain tech is. It's true. So we've been looking at it internally for about two years now, but I would say in the past six months, our efforts have really ramped up to be talking to our clients a little bit more about this and looking for opportunities to partner both with our clients and with all the customers that they work with, whether that would be insurance companies or hospitals and providers. How long has your company been around? We've been around for about four years in the form we're in now. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much for taking time. Uh, you've been listening to Jennifer Hinkle. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Okay, still here at the Skirmerhorn in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am thrilled to be interviewing someone that I've interviewed before, Dana Jung, who is a graduate research assistant at Vanderbilt, a PhD student at Vanderbilt. How are you, Dana? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty tired today, to be honest. You know, why are you so tired? I went to the 24-hour hackathon, started last Saturday, and then I stayed up 24 hours to work on a project. 
Wow. Now you had your own team there. You were part of a team. I actually went there by myself and then I ran into two colleagues that I've met before and then we just formed a team together. Okay. And what was your team pursuing? So we were working on this project for helping physicians manage patient access. So the idea was that to allow current databases to be still siloed and behind their own firewall settings. And we're using the blockchain technology to distribute ledger to manage the data access instead of get requiring the data to be physically transferred. Oh, wow. So were you actually in a competition? Can we call it a competition? I, I think so. <laughs> okay. And uh, is there or was there a prize Yes, there was a grand prize of $10,000 in Bitcoin. 10000 bucks in Bitcoin. Did you win it? No, unfortunately we oh, didn't. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> so do you know who won? Yeah, it was a team that was working on actually a very similar idea. I haven't really met with them, but they were doing a demo at the Distributed Health Conference today. You should have won. Yours was better. I'm sure of it. No, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well, um, that, that is exciting. And so that was a 24-hour hackathon. And that was held where? It was held at the laundry at Vanderbilt University. Who's the Vanderbilt representative for that hackathon? Do you know? I'd say Vandy Hacks. Vandy Hacks. Okay, yeah, I interviewed that young man. I think it was the same show where I interviewed you the second mm -hmm. half when I went over to the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Sciences. Anyway, so it's great to have you here today, and do you plan to be here at the conference tomorrow? Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I think I'd try to make it tomorrow. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much once again for all of your help with everything, and thanks for being here. Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. I'm here outside the main hall, and I'm speaking with Amanda Way of ScriptDrop and also one of her interns whose name is Janelle Breekner. Amanda, tell me if you would, what is ScriptDrop? Yes, so ScriptDrop actually started as a prescription delivery. So instead of the patient going to the pharmacy and getting turned away because they don't have the medication in stock or they're faced with a challenge like a prior authorization, we connect that actual pharmacy with a courier service. We're integrated with over 350 different couriers across the U.S. So that way as the patient, you can go home and just get that medication delivered to you. That then expanded into not just delivering, but then communicating with the patient to really understand adherence so we can remind the patient daily without any additional apps or downloads or setup on their part. It's all within workflow because we're integrated with the pharmacy. We communicate with them back and forth to log when they're being adherent and then we track their refills. And what that does and how that incorporates with blockchain is we can actually take that adherence profile and then the data from the patient and store it on the blockchain. From there, we give the patient access to their data. They're the ones that it's their data, and they can provision access to all the different parties involved. So we're breaking down those data silos. Um, on top of that, a lot of these adherence programs, they don't incentivize patients in any way. So as patients communicate with any of our programs, delivery and our med reminders, they can earn tokens. And that then can be used to pay down their copay. So the next time they show up at the pharmacy, because we're integrated with the pharmacy, we can just buy down their copay because we know that they owe $20, but we know that they have $5 worth of cryptocurrency in their wallet and can pay it down right there. Nice. So now is this something that's actually happening right now or is this something that you all are working on and hoping will happen down the road? So our delivery service is live right now. We have around 3,000, over 3,000 pharmacies um, nationally, a relationship with Albertsons, and then also an integration with um, a pharmacy system called BestRx. So delivery is live. The med reminders are actually probably in beta, I would say. We're working through how to build out the clinical content, and then we're actually having an ICO token sale November 1st. 
So that will allow us to expedite on building out our blockchain and also um, really accelerating the med reminders. Okay, you know, the only thing that worries me is I lived in San Francisco for years, and I remember seeing some of these couriers, these bike couriers, <laughs> and what they looked like. I'm like, what's to stop these guys from pocketing these drugs, right, and only delivering half the drugs? So our couriers that we work with are all HIPAA compliant, and they're already delivering medical records or lab work, things like that today. And then additionally, they don't know what's in the package. So the pharmacy prints out a ticket. It's just an alphanumeric code that goes onto the bag, so they have no idea what they're delivering. Nice. That's great. So tell our listeners, if you would, how can they find you? Yes. So it's scriptdrop.co. Also, our token sale information you can find on scriptdrop.io. Very nice. Thank you very much, Amanda. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And thank you, Janelle. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. <laughs> this is the CEO and yes. co-founder, too. <laughs> oh, wait. This is the CEO and co-founder right here? Yes. Okay. So, hey, we're right here with the CEO and founder of ScriptDrop, Nick Potts. Nick, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Doing very well. Well, you have a fantastic spokeswoman over here for your business. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started with ScriptDrop. Yeah, so I actually worked with Amanda at the previous healthcare company we worked at in Columbus, Ohio. Specifically there, I worked on a pharmacy solution. So I was responsible from day one from growing that solution from 2,000 pharmacies when I first started to about three years later, I was able to grow it to 35,000 pharmacies across the U.S. were using the solution. Wow. So that's where I learned what I know about the pharmacy side in the tech industry and pharmacy IT. Okay. And then what brought you into the, let's call it the tech or the blockchain side of this? Yeah. So when I was at the previous company, I did a lot of side projects on the weekend and on nights, worked with a couple of the other developers there. We developed an app that gamified charitable acts. Uh, so think ALS Ice Bucket Challenge with cryptocurrency. So if you post it to the app and said that you did nice things, you would unlock these tokens. So that's where I got exposed to blockchain. The dev back then, four or five years ago, was much tougher than it is today. We had fork Litecoin back then, whereas now you can create an ERC-20 token on the Ethereum network in like an hour and a half. Right. Nice. So you mentioned charitable acts and doing nice things. You know, these days I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. I hear mostly people talking about startups and, you know, what kind of return on investment they're going to have for their clients or what have you. And the same thing is true with ICOs promising, you know, buy low, sell high, you're going to do real well investing. But that conversation about charitable causes and giving and helping, can you speak to that? Yeah. When you bring on investors, I guess you have a fiduciary responsibility to them to create some ROI. But you can be a for-profit company and also do great things for people in your community. We got to experience that with ScriptDrop very recently. We got to launch with Albertsons in Houston, Texas. The flood victims there, some of them have no vehicles. They can't get to their local pharmacy to pick up their prescription. And we expedited the rollout of our delivery solution in Houston. And we even set up a program to pay for their prescription copays while the flood, they're recovering from that. So it was a great opportunity for me and my team to see the impact that we can make in the community, even though we are for profit. Wow, that's fantastic, man. I love that. So where do you see your company moving in the future? Yeah, well, blockchain gives us a lot of the ability to be innovative and be at the forefront of innovation. And with our experience on the pharmacy side and seeing a a company that we worked at previous grow from a couple of employees to six or 700, we have that experience to scale a solution. And I think we have a fantastic opportunity ahead of us. 
I would love to get to where we're working with all 67,000 pharmacies in the U.S. because our, the ability to impact patients goes up dramatically. Nice. And how many people are in your company? Right now, I believe we're up to 11. We have a couple starting very soon. And then we just signed a couple of large contracts that we're having to add to the team very aggressively. Okay, but it probably feels pretty nice to still be small and tight and in, in control of things, right? Yeah, so I've found that I'm never in control completely. With us integrating with other healthcare companies, integrating with Script Drops, not always their number one priority. It could be their 15th. But we just do the best we can with that situation and continue moving the ball forward. Moving the ball forward. That's a sports analogy, is it not? It is, indeed. (laughs) Nice, man. Well, uh, all I can say is I hope that you guys get a touchdown. (laughs) It sounds like you're going to. It sounds like you have a strong moral compass that is leading you, and that's uh, a breath of fresh air that's really important, I think, these days. It sounds like I'm guessing that you were raised well. Yeah, my parents uh, raised me pretty well. I grew up in Nashville, so you know it's part of the Bible Belt here. But definitely parents raised me well to treat others like I'd like to be treated. And I I like when others are nice to me, so it's easy to understand. The golden rule is a very real thing. It is, indeed. Hey, thanks for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Nick Potts, the CEO and founder of Script Drop. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. Okay, so getting late in the day here, day one of distributed health here at the Skirmerhorn, and I'm speaking with Christine Fahey of the University of Memphis. She's a graduate student in management information systems. Christine, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you doing? All right, now you were over at the Code Camp earlier, is that right? Yes, I was. Tell me about the Code Camp the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, well, it was very interesting. Um, I'm really interested in learning how blockchain is going to be implemented into the enterprise, and that was mainly what we were talking about. So Tracy Kurt from Hyperledger was there, mm-hmm. and she had a very good presentation on the different frameworks that uh, Hyperledger offers and how they can be incorporated into the enterprise, and she is the community architect So she's also trying to get people involved from the community and to help out with uh, testing and and moving things forward. And then we had uh, Jim had come out and they had shown us how to take control of your data because they work with different disparate data and how everything can work together. And it was just a very interesting way to view how everything can be put together and, and the tools that they use. Okay, now are you a coder yourself? I'm not. I do some data analytics, and I'm in the uh, business IT, and I used to do systems implementation. So I guess I'd be more on the business analyst side, but I I am interested in the coding to try to understand better how blockchain is actually used on the back end. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll give me better understanding to give advice to people or to understand how it's used in the enterprise. Okay, nice. Now, you keep saying enterprise. Now, you're not referring to the Starship enterprise, are you? No, I'm not. I'm talking about in the businesses, in supply chain, or anywhere there's an an ecosystem where there's many different groups who share a part of data that that everyone could update instead of having their own separate records. And also, the enterprise is, you know, in a big business like, how are they going to use it in their enterprise? Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to come over to see some of the conference uh, presentations today, so I was kind of going back and forth. Okay, yeah, I was doing a little bit of the same. So as far as the code camp, was there anything that you felt like they should have had there that they didn't? I was interested in a little bit more hands-on coding, but I know it's really hard to have that all set up and, and actually be working 
um, in the environment for, for a, a code camp. But in the future, if maybe we can have more of a hands-on coding might be something that people would be interested in. You're not the first person that said that today. Well, Christine, thank you so much for taking time to interview, and uh, I hope you have a good time here. You came all the way from Memphis to Nashville, right? Yes, I did. Well, enjoy your time here, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Okay, and come to our meetups if anybody comes to Memphis. Oh, yeah, tell us how we can find you. Yeah, if you go to the meetup through an app or online, uh, we're just the Memphis blockchain, and I think Ethereum. If you just look up blockchain, you'll you'll find us, and we're doing a Solidity and um, Smart contracts uh, meet up on October 5th and also on the 20th we're having a two-hour workshop so that should be interesting Brian Wensoff is going to be giving the uh, workshop nice let's go to Memphis y'all thanks a million thank you bye bye all right so I am here right before the last keynote of the day and I'm speaking with Catherine Kosmeskis the CEO and co-founder of Simply Vital Health Inc. Catherine welcome to the show thank you thank you you can call me Kat Okay. Hey, Kat. My sister's also Kat. I love that. Okay. So let's see here. Where do we begin? Were you here last year? I was here last year. I was too. I don't remember seeing you. I feel like (laughs) I would have remembered, but anyway. Okay. So tell us about Simply Vital Health. Yeah, absolutely. So we got our start technically here at the hackathon last year. It was my now co-founder Lucas and I put together a demonstration of how we were going to use blockchain technology in healthcare, specifically around moving medical records and did so well that we won. We were one of the winners and have moved forward with the idea since then. So what we're focusing on specifically, we have a working product in the market right now. It's revenue generating. We actually closed a hospital and skilled nursing facility in less than six months, which is really fast for healthcare. And we're focusing on bundled payments right now, bundled payments specifically around care coordination, financial risk management. What we're building though is an ecosystem with blockchain technology specifically. So I come from healthcare. I'm a hospital administrator at Yale New Haven, and I've tested the blockchain message with a lot of providers, administrators, trying to figure out what they think. And when they hear public minor, they get really nervous. So, you know, we're focusing on something that we believe will be strongly adopted by healthcare. It can be used by everyone. It's open source. It's not a business model for us. It's just an opportunity for everybody. Okay, and you're talking about the Ethereum blockchain? So we're actually, we will start on the Ethereum blockchain because you have to be really careful to make sure you're not a money transmitter. And then once our network gets large enough, then we can actually fork and create our own. Okay, so you'd create your own that would be like a permissioned private blockchain? Absolutely. It's a permissioned private blockchain. Yep. And uh, the way that we do that is they're HIPAA compliant validators. So people like us as digital healthcare companies can benefit from this. Those who have HIPAA compliant servers can as well. Okay. Now, what is your background? What led you to where you are right now. Yeah, so the short story is, is I was managing the bundled payment program at Yale New Haven, realized I needed our platform and ecosystem, and I couldn't find it, so I just created it. Before that, I was a strategic planner for the health system for two years and was managing and uh, assessing value-based care programs and communicating that up to our C-suite. Before that, I worked at a community health center in Connecticut, largest in the state, designed and developed a care management platform that they still use, Masters of Public Health, Data Analytics, Teach for America background. So that idea around strategic planning and data analytics has always been in my background. Wow, so you sound like you're pretty good and proficient at assessing things. So assess this for me, will you? Why are there so many more men in the blockchain space, in this space, than there are women? Assess that for me, please. Thank you for asking. I was sitting in the last session in the main room, and I was thinking I'm just listening to a bunch of men talk about blockchain. Like, where are the women here? And you know what's interesting is if you look at the healthcare 
leadership, if you look at leaders of hospital administration, there's a lot of women there. But I think because we're bridging the gap between something brand new in technology and something in healthcare, I think we still have that gender gap. And, you know, even though it's healthcare, still very overarching with new technology, I think that's what's causing the gender gap. I think it's fair to say there are a lot more male charlatans in finance than there are female charlatans in finance. And I think it's also fair to say that there are more male geeks than there are female geeks. I would absolutely agree. Yes. Yes. What can we do about this? So very funny you asked that. So we just hired our second blockchain developer, Lucas, our CTO, is full-time blockchain. But our second hire, we scoured for female blockchain developers and we couldn't find any. So I think it's more about education, bringing female tech developers into blockchain, educating about blockchain, and then being very strategic if you are hiring or if you are looking for someone, being strategic about your reach out. It's not a funnel problem. It needs to come from the inside. It needs to come from the company looking for that particular demographic. Mm -hmm. Nice. So what do you hope to take away from the conference today? And also, I assume you're going to be here tomorrow. Yes. So, you know, we're really looking for ecosystem participants. We're looking to figure out where we can fit in the space aside from bundle payments. Um, as a former strategic planner, my mind is usually two to three to five years out. So when we're listening to the leaders on the stage, like Kyle from Humana, what are they thinking about now? What are they thinking about in the future so that we can make sure that we position ourselves for adoption? One of the things that we're really, really focused on is adoption. Coming from healthcare, being a former hospital administrator, I've seen a lot of tech go unused or not adopted and for a lot of different reasons. And so one of the things we're really focused on as a company is making sure that we drive adoption of technology, blockchain, technologies that actually work and solve a problem. Nice. And uh, where is your company out of? Where did you travel from? So I personally traveled from Connecticut, but we're bi-coastal. So we're Silicon Valley in Connecticut. Silicon Valley in Connecticut, the, the left coast and the right coast yes. of the United States, if we could say that, even though that probably doesn't apply anymore. But yeah. anyway, okay, so tell our listeners, if you would, how they can find you on the World Wide Web. Ah, the interwebs, yes. So I'm going to drive everybody first to our token sale page. We are growing our ecosystem, and that's tokensale.simplyvitalhealth.com. Dot com. And that'll take us back to the main page blog. You can find a lot of information there. Do you guys have a token sale coming up? Yes, our pre-sale starts tomorrow. That's for accredited U.S. investors or accredited international investors. And their main sale starts on Halloween, October 31st. Wow. So now since I did this interview and included you, can you get me some of those tokens like you know, over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what are those tokens going to go for? How do you value those to begin with? Do you know? That's a good question. So I'm actually going to plug our bounty program because you would count for that. So our bounty program is by sharing and supporting us on social media. In terms of the value of the coin, we actually are still deciding that because Ether fluctuates so much, we're setting it as soon as possible before we start the presale to make sure that it's set in stone and we, and we have the right price of Ether. So once we have that, it'll be sent out through our social media channels and communicated that way. Okay, so you know, I'm also an entertainer in the Bitcoin world. I've written six different Bitcoin songs. Well, I'm working on my sixth, and I think four different Bitcoin parodies. So the next one to come out is called ICO, the, yeah. the official ICO. And uh, one of the lines is, so if you want to see your money grow, put your money in the ICO, right? It's this guy trying to convince people, just invest in this ICO, and you'll yeah. become rich, rich, rich. So what, <laughs> so what do you tell people 
about, and by the way, I have a great lineup, Jonathan Brown on guitar, some great local performers playing on this, recorded at the Toy Box Studio and also at Mark Thornton's studio up in Madison. Anyway, a little plug for the song, a little plug for the studios, that Sidekick Studio up in Madison. But anyway, what do you say to people listening to the show who hear about yet another ICO and they think, not again, how do I know what to invest in? How do I know I'm not just going to be throwing my money away? How do you assure investors, not that they're going to get rich, but that they're doing something prudent? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I'm actually really glad that you asked that right now because we just received a podcast. Someone reviewed and assessed our white paper, a 41-minute podcast of a critical interview of our paper, and he said it's one of the best white papers he's ever seen. So what we're building is real. People believe in it. Check the podcast out. If you're interested, that will also be on our blog. And, you know, it's really to grow and support this ecosystem. We've tested the message of blockchain in healthcare before we built any thing. We did anywhere between uh, 150 to 200 interviews with providers. So we're making sure that we're building something that they're actually going to use. Nice. I think you have a believer. Yay. (laughs) Me. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking time to interview for the show today. I hope I run into you again here at the conference and good luck with everything. Tell our listeners once again how they can find you on the World Wide Web. Yes. So again, I'll direct you to our token sale page, tokensale.simplyvitalhealth.com. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm in the staff room behind the scenes here at the Distributed Health Conference in Nashville, day two, and I'm speaking with the lead writer for BTC Media, Aaron Von Feldun. I'm going to let him say his name in his native accent. Tell me your name, Aaron. Aaron Van Weerden. I love that. And here they call you Aaron Van Weerden. Okay. (laughs) Nice. So you are living now near Amsterdam in what city? Utrecht. Utrecht. Okay. Of course, I'm an American, so it's highly unlikely that I know where that is because my geography classes and my public school system were horrible. Uh, But anyway, so how long have you been with BTC Media? I've been working with Bitcoin Magazine since, I'd say, summer 2015. So you've been writing articles about Bitcoin and blockchain tech for a number of years now. Let me start out by asking how you first got involved in writing and then also how you first got involved in blockchain and Bitcoin and this whole crazy community. How did I first get involved with writing? I've literally been writing since I was a kid. I always told people I was going to be a writer when I grew up. So that's always been there. I started journalism uh, in my 20s, so I became a freelance journalist sort of covering different types of topics. I was always a bit more interested in financial stuff and what are banks up to, and also sort of open source culture I found interesting. And, you know, I came across Bitcoin and it was obviously a perfect match. And I decided to just dive into that whole topic and still diving. Nice. Now, how did you meet up with BTC Media, which we know is owned by the Baileys CEO, David Bailey? So I wrote a couple of articles for Bitcoin Magazine before it was owned by BTC Media. And then in the summer of 2015, I reached out to these guys and I offered, you know, I can write articles for you guys if, if you're interested. And I started doing that. And uh, then after a couple of months, it became more of a steady job kind of thing, steady deal. Okay, nice. You know, I've spent 
literally thousands of hours since 2011 reading online about Bitcoin and blockchain. I'm still not a Bitcoin expert. I've been accused of being a Bitcoin expert. I'm definitely not. But I've read many of your articles. You're a prolific writer in the space and an excellent writer, obviously, or you wouldn't be working for BTC Media. So what things are you writing about that are really near and dear to your heart? Yeah, so for me, what I find most interesting is topics close to protocol governance. So the closer it is to actual protocol level stuff, so what kind of decisions are being made there, how are the decisions being made, what are the trade-offs, who gets to make them, how does that process happen? So, you know, the obvious example would be this whole scaling and block size debate that's been going on for a couple of years. But, it, you know, it doesn't have to be about scaling. It can be about fungibility or other other important topics. But in general, the closer it is to actual sort of protocol level topics, the more interested I find it. And why is that? I guess it is because I actually have a... Before I got into Bitcoin, I was more interested in sort of politics and society sort of stuff. Like I did a master's degree in politics and society and historical perspective is what it's called. And the way I see Bitcoin is it could potentially be a sort of new backbone of a financial system, right? And therefore a new backbone of society, even if, if you extrapolate into the future. So then it becomes interesting, how does this machine actually work? And why does it work the way it does? It's kind of, in a way, a new form of politics. It is in a way a new form of how do people cooperate with each other based on what? And Bitcoin is very different from what we've known so far, but that's also quite interesting. But there's still a level of politics involved, right? If a certain decision has to be made, uh, whether it is about scalability or fungibility, there could be winners or losers. And so that's kind of gets into the realm of politics in a way. Tell our listeners, if you would, one thing that you really like about what you see with, let's just say, Bitcoin politics right. or blockchain politics, and one thing that you really don't like that you've seen. I mean, what's very interesting to me is that Bitcoin brings a very new form of politics where the autonomous individual is key, right? No one can change the rules of the system without you actually agreeing to the change of the rules because you're running the, own, the software on your own computer. That's what makes Bitcoin so incredibly unique. So that's what, that's what I like. And at the same time, there's a very interesting dynamic there where while everyone is very empowered individually, there's still this dynamic where everyone's incentivized to sort of cooperate and follow the same rules. And, and it's all on a voluntary basis. So it's a completely unique and mind-blowingly brilliant system in that way. So that's what I like about it. Now, what don't I like about it? I mean, Bitcoin is not, it's not finished yet. Like it's not done. It could fail in a number of ways. There's still weaknesses out there. We've got a long way to go. You know, even something as fundamental as proof of work, which is such a fundamental property of the system, like without that, we have no idea if something like this could work at all. But it's not actually clear if this is long-term viable. We've already seen massive amounts of centralization, mining centralization. There are theories where the trend could reverse, but we don't see it happening. If it doesn't happen, that could be a very serious Achilles heel in the whole project, really. So that, that's just one challenge, right? Um, fungibility is a huge challenge. There are a couple of these, but I wouldn't say I dislike these. It's just they're challenges, and right. that's also what makes it fun. 
So again, like staying on the subject of Bitcoin politics, what do you feel would be a good message to give to people, the different players in the Bitcoin world, as far as encouraging them to get along and work well together? So I would say, I want to know one thing real quick. We we keep using the word politics, and that's because I introduced it. Yes. I want to make clear that a lot of people have negative associations with this word because, but I think that's because politics have been very negative in the past, yes. right? Like the systems we've come to know are messy. And I think while Bitcoin still has politics embedded, it's so different that it's actually refreshing and new. Yes. Um, so I'll say politics as we defined it here in this conversation only. Yeah, politics in a very broad way, yes. people have to coordinate or cooperate in some way, shape or form, even yes. in Bitcoin, right? Yes. Now, I would say Bitcoin... Like one of the differences between all politics and Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is very market-based as well. Um, the way Bitcoin develops and will continue to develop is ultimately defined by people and by the market. If I would have a message for for the people involved in this kind of stuff, learn to accept that maybe your dream or your vision for Bitcoin is not necessarily in line with what the market actually wants. You know, the market may decide something different than what you like to happen, that's something you're going to have to learn to accept. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And finally, can you give some advice to young writers out there? Do you think it's a good idea to get involved in this space and writing in this space? Uh, advice for young writers? That's a, that's a tricky one. You know, I started writing about Bitcoin because I just thought it was very interesting and it's something I wanted to do. And I guess that sounds cliche, but my heart was there. I wanted to do it. I was interested. It was a bit of a passion. I want to cover this stuff. This is super interesting. As long as you have that, that's fuel to keep you going. If you don't have that, it's going to be tricky for you. You, you don't want to get into this line of work for the money. Yeah, I agree. I know that personally, having podcasts for almost three years, for me, I facilitate information coming from people I interview to my listeners, and I'm really just the middleman who facilitates that because I have a very strong interest. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking time to interview, and I'm thrilled to meet the man behind the words, and I will continue to read and enjoy your articles for the years to come. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Bye. This episode of Bitcoins and Gravy is brought to you by our good friends at MoonshineBootWax.com. Made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original, all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine, all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent long-lasting shine. Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wing tips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the Nashville community, one shine at a time. You can buy your very own four ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com. And best of all, you can pay using Bitcoin. 
I am here day two, getting near the end of the Distributed Health Conference here at the Skirmerhorn, and I'm talking with Callie Bailey, BTC Media's COO. Hi, Callie. Hi, John. Welcome. Thank you. And I'm also talking with Harrison Ballard, the BTC Media Events Coordinator for the event. Is that right? That is correct. Hey, John. Hey, you're doing a great job. What do you think of the job Harrison's doing? Fabulous. Couldn't be better. Nice. Now, last year it was Tyler, right, that was coordinating it, I think. I, I was coordinating it, but Tyler was the lead, putting together speaker sponsors. So it's been a very collaborative team effort. Nice. But BTC Media has expanded, and we've got on a VP of events, which includes Nashville's local Cynthia Price and Harrison Ballard, who is also from here. And, of course, Lauren is moving around at a high pace. We have Allison Landy, the BTC Media Global Accounts Director here at the desk. How's it going? Great. How are you? Good, thank you. So you guys have been super busy today. How would you rate this year's conference versus last year's conference? Kelly? Repeat attendees who are getting it, who have spent the last year growing their businesses, thinking outside the box, just so engaged. Last year, they weren't quite sure how healthcare would mesh with blockchain. Mm -hmm. And this year, they get it, and they're just wanting to be part of this dynamic growing industry. I completely agree with that. Last year, I saw a lot of befuddled looks on people's faces. This year, I see confidence, and people are moving forward, like, I'm going to make this thing happen. So that's exciting. Absolutely. So, uh, Harrison, is this a tough job you have here? Do you have assistants, too, here? We do have some event coordinators that are aspiring professionals, seniors at Ole Miss that are doing a great job. But, um, no, it, it's, it's not a difficult job when you have such a talented team. Nice, nice. Now, do you think now these are interns or these are just volunteers from Ole Miss? Somewhere in between. I would say that they are interning for us this week. Okay. Do you think I should interview them? I think that they're uh, more than capable of, of answering questions. I'll be asking their names. What's your name, young lady? My name's Caitlin Childress. Caitlin Childress and? Nicole Covington. Nicole Covington. So are you guys having a good time? Are you learning a lot here? We are. We are learning a lot. It's been a good experience so far. Cool. Do you think this will move you guys like it moving forward into the blockchain Bitcoin world? What do you think? I think so. And have you heard any, while you've been here today, have you heard any good music? Yours. Your song that you wrote was just truly inspiring. What's the title of that? I can't remember. Mississippi Girls are Cray Cray. Right, right. I think that's going to be a big hit. I, I do too. I think it's going to be perfect. So I have to ask you guys, is it true that Mississippi Girls are Cray Cray? No, it's not true. What? Are you <laughs> kidding me? It's a, so the song is not really true to life, but it's still a good, it could be a good song, right? <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for helping out with everything today. I know that you guys have been a great help here at the desk, and it's been nice meeting you guys. It's been lovely meeting you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Callie. Thank you, John. Thanks, Harrison. It was a pleasure, John. Sure was. Thank you, Allison. Always a good time. Make sure you create that one-hit wonder. It's going to be good. Got it. I'm going to work on it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Oh, no, it'll be on the podcast. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. All the ums will be gone, I promise you. See you guys. All right, I'm still here, day two, in the Skirmerhorn at the Distributed Health Conference. And right now I'm speaking with a young man named Matthew Niemer, Vanderbilt University Medical Center Senior Financial Analyst. 
Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I appreciate seeing you. Yes, sir. And, you know, we hung out a little bit last night at the uh, after event party there at the Weston, a very swanky place up there on the roof with that swanky swimming pool and view of the city, and uh, that was a lot of fun, right? Yeah, we were promised a sunset. They delivered on the sunset. Yeah. Eight o'clock, the downstairs bar closed, and they let us upstairs, so I'm not angry. <laughs> right, right, and there, there go two, the, those Mississippi girls, they were in the pool last night. So tell me, senior financial analyst with Vanderbilt University Medical Center, what's your role there, and why are you here today? Yeah, so I'm doing a lot of long-term FP&A valuation planning, looking at new business models, looking at business models that we might need to sell out of. Coming on balance sheet pretty soon is going to be operational medical equipment, and I believe there's an idea that we could put that process internally in Vanderbilt onto a blockchain. If you imagine you have five to ten decision makers, you know you could come to a consensus to enter a lease digitally rather than having to route physical packets that could be a stack of paper an inch to two inches tall mm-hmm. uh, just to get signature authority on something that it might be an asset cost of $100,000 yeah. to an organization like Vanderbilt that is a misappropriation of administrative effort. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm here looking at that. Talk to a number of people who are either developers that might be able to build it on their own, even all the way up to IBM, who has a platform in place on the Hyperledger that thinks it might be appropriate. Yeah, a lot of options moving forward. It's funny that... You know, we have computers now and that, you know, everybody has on their desks there at Vanderbilt and everywhere else different than it was in the 1950s. And yet we still have so much friggin' paper. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it seems like we're in a system similar to what we were in the 80s and 90s where we built these legacy systems and, and software developments being siloed. And as a result, you don't really solve interoperability problems. Computational problems are easy, right? Computers are great for that. But if you want to take information from one person to another, you either have to give it to them or you have to print it out yourself and and put it into a physical form. So, yeah, paper is is an issue. When you're still looking for wet signatures from a CFO or a board of trustees, yeah, that's an issue. I mean, people are comfortable with wet signatures on physical paper and a digital signature just doesn't cut it when you're talking about a a more expensive asset like five million dollars. I wonder what jobs won't exist when we see blockchain technology being used at Vanderbilt University whether they're you know private permission blockchains or public blockchains but I wonder what jobs won't exist anymore what do you imagine might not exist 10-20 years from now? I don't know. It's interesting. You worry about when people start getting into the discussion of, well, technology is going to replace jobs. Yeah, it, it, it eliminates jobs, but that makes your workforce more productive in new ways. I mean, the Model T didn't cause a huge unemployment rate in the United States beyond just regular fictional unemployment that takes place in any changing economy. Yeah. I think there will be lower level accounting jobs that might not be necessary in 30 years. If you start to move beyond a general ledger as we know it now, well, then why do you need a routine accountant to do basic level journal entries, right? Right. That's either going to be somebody lower who's verifying or higher who's verifying and doing a multitude of other tasks. Yeah, nice. So do you plan on being at Vanderbilt for the near future? (laughs) Uh, Officially, if Vanderbilt's listening, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, that's funny. I, I will say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm here in a personal capacity as well. I mean, yeah. you and I have met through the through the Meetup Network, and having a sort of network that you can, you know, expand your knowledge in technology as well as healthcare has been beneficial. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's great to have the meetup groups around Nashville. It's a lot of fun to meet like-minded people and people who are looking into this because, you know, otherwise you read about it and you study online, you do your own research, and you don't have anybody to bounce these ideas off of. It's nice just to have people that at least understand what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I read the same articles you do, and I approach it with my biases. You approach it with yours, and, you know, unless we actually get together physically, we're, we're not gonna we're not going to see it as the other person does. I mean, yes, technologies allow us to do a lot of things easier and remove some frictions, but, you know, coming together and being at a conference still beats, in my mind, being on the webinar. Here, here. Hey, thank you so much. Hey. You've been listening to Matthew Niemer. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, John. I appreciate you. Yeah, take care. Bye. Okay, I'm here again still at the Skirmerhorn, day two of the Distributed Health Conference, and I am speaking with a man who I consider very important here in Nashville at this point. That is Corey Todaro of Hashed Health. He's the Chief Operating Officer. Corey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. An exciting conference. A little bit tiring. Yeah, yeah. My feet are killing me. <laughs> but anyway, yes, so tell us about the conference, and that's a very broad question, but I know that you are able to handle it. Yeah, so uh, the conference is very different this year in that the discussion is getting a lot more complex about how we do actually do healthcare on blockchain. So last year was a lot of excitement and a high-level talk about we can, quote, put things on the blockchain. This year there's a lot more experience on we, what well, we've tried to put on the blockchain and we've learned some hard lessons and we've got some new approaches from an architectural or, for, or from a technical perspective that we're now bringing to the problems at hand. I think we're also having a lot deeper conversations on the kinds of networks we need to arrange to make these blockchains a reality. It's not a build it and they will come situation. It's we have to engage actively with networks of healthcare stakeholders and entities to get these, these kinds of solutions off the ground. So what are some of the big friction points or roadblocks that you see that we are going to have to just go around or work our way over? Well, the first is, is still market education. The market is still very new to blockchain. And there's a lot of interest, but there's not a lot of sophistication in the knowledge on the parts of the enterprises. And that's one of the functions that Hashed Health is attempting to fulfill. We will help those enterprises get up to speed, learn about the different protocols, learn what proof of concepts can do for them in their business lines, sort of getting them ready to build is still a big sort of pain point or a friction point around getting blockchain off the ground. I think what we learned, in the, and especially in the conference today, is that regulation is not a big friction point. Regulations don't necessarily give us an impediment to some blockchain utilizations. I mean, the things you can't do with other technology, you can't do with blockchain too. But there's nothing unique about blockchain that, that goes afoul of those kinds of regulations. At the end of the day, the biggest friction point is going to be having people understand that controlling the network is, not a, is no longer a viable business option. That you can build a business and get value and revenue off of participating and adding value to transactional networks instead of the strategy of trying to control the network and own it and controlling access to it. So that's a shift, and it's a big one for a lot of enterprises, but I, st I think they're starting to get it. In the same way that the internet introduced new business practices and new business models for traditional enterprises, blockchain is introducing new business opportunities as well. That's a learning curve, and they're starting to climb it. To what extent do you feel like big pharma and also just the legacy healthcare system is standing in the way of this technology or not wanting to change you know, those points of resistance? Sure. A lot of the complication in healthcare recedes into the landscape. And a lot of companies and entities and even individuals will perceive them as kind of unchangeable, like the hills. You can't make the mountains go away. They're just the way they are. So there's a lot of just inertial friction in trying to do things in a different way. 
But another important challenge is even if a single enterprise wants to do something differently, it takes more than one to dance. And blockchains require networks to dance in some fundamental new ways. So the way we're approaching it is to, is to do proof of concept, an overused term in blockchain for sure. But we want to test out fundamental value solving some low-hanging fruit problems that are well-known by all these entities and starting to move transactional data and business processes onto the blockchain. And once that's taking place, I think they're going to start realizing, oh, these new business opportunities are are possible now. So I don't think you can come at it head-on. The system is too well entrenched and there's too much money and, you know, effort into how having it operate the way it does. But I think we can tease and entice them into new ways of doing business. I agree. So as we get near the end of the second annual Distributed Health Conference here in Nashville. Bring it back home for us, if you would, and tell us about what's going on with Hashed Health and what's going on with Nashville. What do you see for Nashville for the next 10 years? That's a great question. Well, Hashed Health is, we're getting traction now. We're getting members and that that membership rate is accelerating. A lot of enterprises are coming to us at a lot of different stages. Some are quite ready to build. And that's exciting. And we're going to be working to put those networks together to get those proof concepts off the ground soon. For Nashville more broadly, I'm very excited because there's a real upswell of developer support. For instance, Hashed Health now hosts four developers. All of them are local. All of them are local guys who have come to us with varying experience in blockchain. And they're really excited about being part of a whole new industry. And I think that's a great opportunity for Nashville, given our depth of, of knowledge and expertise in health IT. We can now add a whole new technical stack or development talent pool to that to make sure that Nashville is going to get a lot of value and participate in a new economy. Nice. And final question, what role do you see Bitcoins playing in the grand scheme of things? The cryptocurrencies are awesome for us. They provide a path of a visionary statement of what things can look like. Yes. And I can always point to them. Even if people don't like me to point to them, I can always point to them and say, this is what it can be like. Yeah. It's a long and complicated road there for a lot of enterprises and and for business use cases. But it's that great exemplar, that ideal state out there. And I love that story. I love that this technology came out of the wild. Me too. Came out of people interacting in a whole new way without the the, the sort of traditional structures of enterprises and, and, and intermediaries and whatnot. So I, mean, I can point to that as a real inspiration point. And in healthcare, that resonates because people are frustrated, and they should be, because yeah. the system is overly complicated and expensive and fundamentally dehumanizing. Yeah. So it, it's a great object lesson to point to that these things are possible. I wish I could stand it up all, you know, a whole new healthcare system from the ground up today. Me too. I could try to build it on the blockchain. I don't think anyone would come to play. Yeah. So we're going to walk the long, twisted road, but we're going to get there. Nice, the long, twisted road. Hey, thanks a million, Corey. Not a problem. Thank you so much. Um, Bye. I'd like to thank all of the great folks I met at the second annual Distributed Health Conference held just last week here in Nashville, Tennessee. I met and interviewed some incredibly intelligent, thoughtful, and innovative thinkers who inspired me and educated me, and I hope brought to you, my listeners, a renewed sense of optimism about the potential for blockchain and the role it's beginning to play in the world of healthcare. To all of you innovators and doctors and healthcare professionals out there, keep on keeping on and know that what you are doing is of critical importance at this time in world history. 
I need to give a special thanks to Shalini Gupta and Dana Zhang for their help during the conference with interviews. These two young ladies are on fire about blockchain, and don't be surprised if you hear more from them in the future. And a special thanks to the good folks over at Hashed Health. John Bass, you fellows are doing a class act job. Keep on keeping on. And of course, our good friends at BTC Media. Thank you guys. David Bailey, you've got a great crew over there who think the world of you. And we are just as pleased as punch to have you guys here in Nashville. And a very special thanks to our sponsor, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax, the original all-natural non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Mmm. The Nashville Wax Company is now offering Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover for removing stubborn, sticky stuff. It's like goo gone, but without the petroleum-based chemicals. All Moonshine products are 100% natural and are available at 18 different fine retail outlets in the Nashville area, including the Country Music Hall of Fame store in the elegant Omni Hotel. To order a tin of Moonshine Boot Wax or a 4-ounce bottle of Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover, stay where you are, that's right, without even getting up out of that office chair, just go to moonshinebootwax.com. Use your credit card, your debit card, or better yet, pay the modern way with Bitcoin. That's right, Bitcoin, the modern way to pay at moonshinebootwax.com. And finally, I'd like to say thank you to all of my loyal listeners. That's you for tuning in and for giving me such thoughtful and helpful feedback about the show. Your comments in the show notes are greatly appreciated, as are the tips that you send to my Bitcoin wallet. I'm a hardworking guy with two and a half jobs and without a lot of money. So every little bit counts. Even a 50 cent tip sent to my wallet goes a long way to making me feel that doing this podcast on a volunteer basis is worth it. It also helps keep the lights on and coffee in the kettle. Signing off now from the Treehouse Studio here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, by my side. Say goodbye, Max. <laughs> Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. So go out there and do something and be proud of it. And remember, the best way to defeat violence, the way Gandhi did it, is through peaceful opposition to that violence. Remember that. It's really important. Have a great one, guys. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things ought to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain. Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. told about the death of old Mount Gox, about traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks. But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee, see they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free. Our Bitcoin, as 
Distributed Health Conference in Nashville, and I'm talking to Jad Mubaslet. Hi, Jad. Hey, Dana. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? How are you today? And how are you enjoying the conference so far? I'm doing excellent. It's been uh, really interesting seeing all the different use cases, learning more about healthcare, and seeing how I can take my blockchain knowledge and hopefully apply it in this new industry. That's very exciting, Jad. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I actually originally got involved in the Bitcoin industry. Uh, I started a trading platform, Bitquick.co, in 2013. Got accepted into an accelerator, Boost VC, in 2014, and then sold the business last year. Although in hindsight, I probably should have just waited another year as things went real crazy recently. So now, sold the business in hopes that I can do more than just the buying and selling of Bitcoin mm -hmm. and really help to disrupt industries using blockchain technology. Yeah, that's some aspirations. Can you tell us more about the company Bitquick? Sure. So Bitquick.co was originally invented as a trusted party to connect buyers and sellers of Bitcoin. We didn't directly buy or sell any Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. We were kind of, think of us like local Bitcoins, except that we are the party between the buyer and the seller. So on local Bitcoins, the buyer and the seller interact directly. Mm -hmm. So you can get mugged, you can get scammed, whatnot. Or if you went and used Coinbase, for example, you're going to have to wait three to five days and use a bank transfer. So if you're unbanked, or you don't want to wait, or you don't want to subject yourself to getting scammed, you were kind of screwed back in 2013. And actually, you're kind of still screwed today if you want to do all those three things at the same time. So Bitquick.co naturally kind of filled in that gap. From 2014 to 2016, we went from $100,000 in monthly volume when we first joined the accelerator to 1.6 million. So we were able to 16 times our volume, while the price of Bitcoin only 1.5x right. in that time. Wow. 
Yeah, that's very impressive. Wish you kept that business going. Absolutely. I, in hindsight, should have just held on to it for just a little bit longer. Yeah. But that's okay. You have other exciting opportunities. So what are you hoping to get out of this conference? So I'm trying to figure out the legitimate use cases for blockchain in the healthcare industry. There's a lot of hype around applying private blockchains to revolutionize healthcare. Mm -hmm. But my question is, is there an opportunity to disrupt healthcare? If we look at Bitcoin and what it did to finance, I'm trying to look for a similar analogy in the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin disrupted the finance industry because it allowed people who never had a bank account to finally be their own banker. Right. So if you looked at something equivalent in the healthcare industry, right now you have these big conglomerates that are essentially the banks holding your health data. Mm -hmm. So what if there was some way to disrupt this industry by allowing consumers to control their health data? Right. But it's a very difficult challenge. It is. People don't want to manage their health records themselves. Right. They like the idea of owning their data, but in reality, no one actually wants to be responsible mm -hmm. for holding their data. Yeah. yeah, what you just described actually aligns a lot with my research interests as well. And then I actually recognized you from the hackathon last weekend. Can you tell us some about what you did over the weekend and what kind of project you worked on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was at the hackathon yesterday, like you said, first time going to the Distributed Health Hackathon. Fortunately, I missed the first one. But this one was actually a really interesting learning experience. Learned more about the care coordination side of thing. And me and a, and a couple different people that I just met for the first time coming into the hackathon, we put together a pitch for something called CarePay. Mm -hmm. So feel free to look that up. We published our presentation and the code on there. And it was, it was very interesting. We'll see if hopefully we can make something with it. Okay. Yeah, that's very exciting. Again, this is Jad. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Dana. Have fun at the conference. Yep, you too. Thanks. Here at the Distribute Health Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am talking with Tommy from the Center for Medical Interoperability. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Dana. Glad to be here. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit more about the place you work at and what attracted you to the conference? Here? Absolutely. So the Center for Medical Interoperability is a centralized research and development lab for hospitals and health systems. That makes it unique in consortia because most consortia are developed and led by the vendor community. So we are technically focused on interoperability of devices and systems at the point of care, specifically in the ICU, in an operating room, in an emergency room, how all those devices and systems that are in that room work together to provide a higher level of care for the patient. That sounds very exciting. So do you see any potential blockchain applications in the healthcare space from the center? I, I do. I think most of those types of applications are certainly a little bit further down the line because of the way you have to engender trust with the medical device vendor community and the way that they change their build-outs. But once you do, and once this technology becomes more widely accepted, I think that that's in a way inevitable, probably in small decentralized scale. So mm -hmm. maybe a hospital runs its own blockchain or even in, inside of a department potentially. Right. That's very cool. So I think this conference is the perfect venue to get some like ideas and exciting opportunities here. So what are you hoping to get out of this conference? I'm really looking to develop relationships with the enterprise community in blockchain that can help us create the next generation architecture for interoperability. Whether that's fully blockchain or mm -hmm. elements blockchain built into that, all of that's incredibly valuable. And yeah. it's these people 
who have the innovation and have the outside the box thinking that aren't traditionally in the healthcare space mm-hmm. that are going to provide solutions that benefit all of us, really. Right, right. Yeah, especially now that healthcare is opening its, I guess, technology into accepting new ideas and either data analytics or blockchain in this case. So I think it's there's a lot of exciting opportunities and I know you have a busy schedule ahead. So thanks so much for your time. Again, this is Tommy Raxdale from the Center for Inter- uh, Medical Interoperability. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Dana. I'm at the Distributive Health Conference here and I'm talking to Dr. Alan Coe. Hi, Alan. Hi, nice well, meeting you. Thanks. Welcome to the show. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm a dentist, and I'm running my own startup called Mediblock, basing in Seoul, South Korea. And I used to be a software engineer, so I do know both technology and healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to helping people to take back the control over their own information. So mm-hmm. that's what Mediblog is trying to do. Yeah, you have a very cool intersection there with healthcare and blockchain. And so, can you tell us more about the company Mediblog and how it's affiliated with blockchain, or if it uses some blockchain-related technologies? So Mediblock uh, is about you know healthcare information and blockchain. So what it is trying to do is helping people to collect all their information, healthcare information from you know individual healthcare providers, mm-hmm. which are hospitals or healthcare insurance companies. Yeah. So currently, all these information are separated, uh, mm-hmm. siloed, and right. controlled by individual hospitals. Yeah. So uh, what we are trying to do is just providing some sort of SDK or some plugin kind of thing so that mm-hmm. all the other vendors can just add it to their own applications. Mm-hmm. Or separately, healthcare providers can use mm-hmm. some sort of application to mm-hmm. actually upload all those information into patients. Mm-hmm. So that they can help patients to get you know control over their information. Right. So once all these information is collected in one place, we believe that there will be lots of use cases that people can actually utilize all those information to mm-hmm. have a better care. They can have a chance to monetize all this information mm-hmm. by selling their information to like pharma companies or insurance companies or mm-hmm. some companies like Intel and Google and IBM kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's very exciting. How many years has Metablock been around or how long has it Mediblog is at the very early stage right now. Okay. We started to think about this business a year mm-hmm. ago. Uh, we founded our company in this April. Uh, oh, it's it's yeah, it's because my co-founder, who is a medical doctor, a mm-hmm. uh, board of certified radiologist, mm-hmm. and he's also a award-winning data scientist. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this, you know, quite a while. But then yeah. he had a you know little problem with his status. I mean, a Korean man has to mm-hmm. you know do some you know, military service. Oh, so see. he just finished his military service in this mm-hmm. April. That's why we yeah. you know founded our company Got in this it. April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you flew all the way from South. Korea to attend this conference. What are you hoping to get out from here? So in terms of blockchain technology, Korea and all the other you know Asian countries are mm-hmm. far behind right now. So I'm trying to learn lots of things from all the other players in this mm-hmm. field. And like, for example, Jam or IBM or all the other companies are working on this you know healthcare related yeah. uh, things for few years I guess mm-hmm. so they've done lots of lots of researches and lots of you know progresses so far so yeah that's what I want to get okay. I just want to learn a lot yeah this is definitely the right place to be and I hope you enjoyed the conference thanks so much for your time again Alan thank you 
Hi, my name is Andrew Beal. I'm a senior manager at Ernst Young, and I'm one of our firm's dedicated blockchain and virtual currency experts. So, Andrew, why are you here? I'm here at Distributed Health to see what the industry's done over the last year. I was at the first Distributed Health conference a year ago. So, here to sort of, you know, see what progress has been made, make connections, talk to the startups that are, you know, building the technology that's moving this industry forward, and then also to, you know, take meetings with some of our clients and some of our partners that we're working with. So, Andrew, what has been your blockchain experience? My personal journey started out as a attorney. I was a corporate lawyer based in Los Angeles, and I was doing a lot of general corporate law and then started to work with some of the early virtual currency companies, mostly exchanges, wallets, payment processors, and then new coin, new cryptocurrency developers, and really helping them with a lot of just sort of general corporate work when they were getting their company started, but also a lot of regulatory work as that became more of a focus. So any company that was moving Bitcoin you know, from one place to another or, or holding Bitcoins for a customer was a client that we worked with. And then about a year and a half ago, I moved to San Francisco, joined Ernst & Young as a consultant, and have been working with our financial services, healthcare, and life science clients since then on all things blockchain. So usually these projects, how long is the implementation time from the start to the end? Have you seen that through all the way? I will. I'm going to answer a different question just because I think when the industry started sort of really experimenting with blockchain, a lot of it was first understanding what it was. So there need some education needed to happen. So we spent a lot of time early on just helping our clients figure out what blockchain was and why it was relevant to them. Once they had a, a, a foundation and were familiar enough with it, then we moved to you know helping them figure out where in their business it was most applicable. So helping them assess what use cases they should start exploring. And then after that, you know, to the extent that there was a proof of concept that they wanted to build and experiment with or prove it, prove out a concept, or if there was a pilot program that they, you know, wanted to kickstart, we would obviously help them with that. But I think generally, you know, in terms of just like implementations, there have been production implementations, there have been very few just because this technology is very, 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 very young. Yeah. So it's much more on the experimentation yeah. front. Yeah. So any particular skill sets like people like me, you know, newbies into this that you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think, if, you know, to the extent that you are, you have a software development background, you know, you know how to code in JavaScript and things like that. I think there is a shortage of developer talent in the industry right now. There's what we're calling like a hiring crunch. So, so many companies have raised money. So many projects have done ICOs and now have a bunch of money at their disposal. And there's not enough technical resources out there for them to hire. So we need a lot more developers in the space that know how to code smart contracts, know how to, you know, quickly spin up, you know, sort of a couple of blockchain nodes and, you know, start proving out a, you know, proving out a very simple concept. And then I think it's, we need people with industry knowledge. We need people that like from the healthcare industry, from life sciences, right? That, 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 that understand those business processes to work with, you know, blockchain companies because you can know all you want about the tech, but if you don't really understand the problem, then it's, you know, you're not going to be able to solve for the right thing. All right. Thank you, Andrew. So this is Shalini, and I'm with Brian. Brian, tell me about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, this is Brian Battistone. I started a company a few years ago called Health Data Movers, and we primarily 
work on integration in the healthcare space, so connecting EMRs to different legacy applications and current applications that hospitals are using, helping them with data conversion, analytics, and reporting, and mainly just trying to bridge the gap between all the different siloed systems that exist in the space today. So Brian, have you heard of Bitcoin and Gravy? I have. It's, uh, it's actually one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to it all the time. I think it's, it's a great format and it's really neat to hear about all the things going on around town. I actually just moved to Nashville just very recently and uh, it's exciting to be in a city that has so much going on in the, in the blockchains and in the healthcare space. So what has your experience been with blockchain? Well, I got involved or interested, I guess, in Bitcoin initially back in 2013. I, I think I read about it on Reddit and became very interested right away, seeing its potential, you know, in the remittances market and, and just currency in general, which I thought was really neat. And then have since, you know, become more interested in it, have done a lot of research on Ethereum, which I think is really cool. And then some of the other coins that exist. But I really think like, you know, one of the most interesting aspects of it is the blockchain technology that it's based on and its ability to hopefully transform and improve healthcare. So how big is your company? We're pretty small. We have six full-time employees right now, and we have about a dozen contractors. We do work all over the U.S. We primarily, our contractors work on implementation projects at hospitals. And then we have a couple of pretty interesting side projects going on as well. We're working on developing a middleware interface engine for connecting devices to EMRs. So do you think as a mid-sized and small companies, are there sufficient resources available to learn this technology? So resources for um, uh, for blockchain, blockchain like blockchain development. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it certainly seems, you know, coming to a conference like this, it seems like there are and there are a lot of people interested in the space. You know, I know there are local meetups and a lot of people learning like the Solidity language to program on Ethereum. And you, know, you hear about a new ICO, it seems like a new ICO initial coin offering every happening every week. So I think there's a lot going on in the space. A lot of developers. That, yeah. All right. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thank you, Shalini. <laughs> Oh, good boy.